Good morning, Dorisville. Hey, how's your heart today? How's your heart? We are finishing up our series today on heart matters. The fact that the heart does matter and matters of the heart matter. And we've talked about over the last three weeks, this is our fourth week, we've talked about, first off, we took a look at the heart of God and how we discovered that the heart of God is the person who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And really it was kind of discerning maybe to us, disconcerting to us, to think about the fact that God is more concerned about the one not in the fold than the 99 in the fold. He's more concerned with the ones in the water still and not the ones who have safely made it into the lifeboat. And so his heart is... For the lost person. Jesus came and said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have come to call sinners to repentance. So that is the heart of God. And then we examined our hearts. And the reason that's necessary is because the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is desperately wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. And who can Know it. The heart, because it looks out for your best interest, will lie to you time and time again. It will tell you that this may be right when in fact it's wrong, or this is wrong when in fact it's right, because the heart wants to watch out for you. It's utterly sick. And so what we need is then for God to come along and, and the cry of the psalmist was, Search my heart, O God, and know me today. God, would you examine my heart? And we looked at how that took place. And then finally, we talked about the fact that, that we, we've looked, we've searched, that God can give us a new heart. He said, he said, in the salvation sense of knowing Jesus Christ, I'll take out your old stony dead heart and put a new one in. But he also promises those believers who have allowed their heart to get calcified in heart that I will make that heart soft again, that the heart may do what it's designed to do, and that is to love others. Your heart's designed to do something, and that is to pump. But our heart, our spiritual heart, is designed to do the work of the kingdom. We talked about Vacation Bible School last week. So this is the epilogue. This is the end of the story. So what exactly, then, does, what should we look at today? What does it involve living out the heart of God? In Acts chapter 1, verse number 1 through 11, no other place in Scripture is that better told than this powerful Scripture. So please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We'll have the Scriptures on the screen also. And there's a sermon sheet in your bulletin. If you've got one of those, we're a place you can take some notes and also read the Scriptures off of that. We want you to have the Word of God available. So, so what does it look like? How does it happen? What are the resources? How is it going to happen? How are we going to get it done, this thing called the heart of God? Well, today we will look at, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we will look at an incredible motivation, an incredible instruction, an incredible invasion, and finally, an incredible instigation. All right? Look with me, please. These are such powerful, powerful scriptures. In fact, I wrote down at the introduction, fasten your seatbelt, because there are some great truths that I'd like to share with you today from the Word of God. First off, look at this incredible motivation. I want to spend just a moment telling a little bit of history because the opening words of Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Now, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. First off, who is I? The I is the great physician, Luke. Not the great physician, Jesus, but the great physician, Luke. And now I was really surprised. I did a little bit of research. We don't know too much about Luke. We do know that he was a doctor. We do know that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, 
but not in the sense of when Jesus walked the earth. He was not one of the apostles. As far as we know, he was not even a disciple of Jesus in the time that Jesus walked. In fact, the book of Luke was written sometime probably A.D. 60s, about almost 25 or 30 years after the death of Jesus. So Luke became a follower of Jesus Christ, his physician did, and then took it upon himself to interview people, gather information, and then put together a narrative, what we now call the gospel according to Luke. Okay? That's where Luke is. Now what you're going to find out is, is that Luke is the story of Jesus. And and I know I don't speak by myself. Luke is our favorite account. It's just one of those ones that portrays Jesus in such such an authentic and wonderful way. Some of the greatest miracles. Luke, uh, oh, probably about 40%, 30% of the material in Luke is found nowhere else in the other Gospels. It's found here. So we love the Gospel of Luke. So that was the story of Jesus. And what you'll find out is the story of Acts, which Luke also wrote, is the story of Jesus being lived out in the life of the church. In other words, it's a history of the church and how, how the early church lived out Jesus Christ. Well, Dwayne, who in the world is Theophilus? We don't know. We don't know. We're almost certain he's a believer in Jesus Christ. He could have been because as you, as you, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Luke was a traveling companion with Paul. So perhaps Theophilus was a, a person who financed the ability for Luke to, to stop being a physician and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But the important thing for you to know is, is that the book, even though it mentions a guy named Theophilus, it's not written just for him. It is written for us today. Us today. We are part of Theophilus in the sense that the books of Acts, or the book of Acts is written for us. So, so I wrote the first narrative, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, and here's what it's all about. About all that Jesus began to do. And again, if you have not read the Gospel of Luke, you need to do that. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up. Now watch this, watch this. After he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave orders. Luke says, I wrote the whole story of all he began to teach until the time when he was taken up and the last thing he did on earth before he was taken up. And I've got that book open in Luke chapter 24 verses 46. Listen to this and then remember what you hear as we look at the scripture today. Here's what, here's what Jesus said right before he went up. Then he said to them, the apostles, thus it is written and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now listen, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, the name of Jesus, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise, which we're going to talk about today, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, I'm an old Air Force boy. I'm an old veteran. And I know for a fact when an officer gives a command, it's called an order. I order you to do this. And I thought it was so cool that the Greek word that Luke uses gives orders. Well, that sounds like something to be obeyed. Yes. And what was the orders? That this gospel about the remission of sins, about repentance, should be preached to all the entire world. That's the marching orders to them, and it's the marching orders we read about today in Acts chapter 1, and it's the marching orders for the church today. Oh, it's so powerful, so good. And the Bible goes on and says, verse number 3, after he had suffered, now what's he talking about? 
the cross. Usually, when you talk about after someone died, what's next? The funeral. And what's next? The end. Right? With Jesus, it wasn't the end. That's incredible. He said, after he, after he suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, with Jesus Christ, the end was not the end. In fact, it was the beginning. You know, I am so grateful. Imagine, if you will, first off, before I say this, imagine a wagon wheel. At the middle of the wheel is a hub. And from the hub are different spokes. And then, of course, the rim. I am incredibly grateful for the virgin birth. Because that proves that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I am incredibly grateful for the life that Jesus Christ lived. The way he showed God's love through sinless perfection, touching the lives of people. And I shall be eternally grateful. And you, if you know him today, will be eternally grateful for the fact that he died on Friday. Amen? Aren't you glad that his blood was shed, that we could have forgiveness of sins? But I want to tell you something. We undersell the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is the resurrection that forever proves that Jesus Christ was not just a good man. That Jesus Christ was not a good teacher. That Jesus Christ was not someone who martyred. Jesus Christ is God, folks. He is alive today. No other religious leader. No other man makes that claim. Have you noticed that? Muhammad never claimed to be God. Muhammad never proved his deity by dying and resurrecting the third day. What I'm telling you, we have an incredible motivation. We don't have a dead leader. We've got a live leader. We don't have a dead Savior. We've got a living Savior. We don't have a monarch who past lived. We've got a monarch who rules this world today. Woo! Now that's a motivation. That's a motivation. Listen, oh, listen, listen. Take your Bibles real quick. Go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Come on, come on, get, get the page slipping. Listen to this. This is so powerful and so cool. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul writing, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received from Christ, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, also, as one born out of due time. This is incredible. The resurrection is a historical fact. And, and it's, like, it's like Luke is saying, or excuse me, Paul is saying, look, look, I know it's been, it's been 30, 40, 50, 60 years, but, but Jesus Christ was seen by the apostles, but he was seen by 500 people. And if you want to get on a boat and travel down to Jerusalem, 
You can go right now to Jerusalem where he was crucified, where he was buried, and where he resurrected. And there are still witnesses, not one, not twelve, but hundreds of people who will testify that he lives today. Isn't that powerful? Whoa, I'm telling you. Listen, the resurrection is not a myth. It's reality. And that is what we've got to get out. Yes, Jesus Christ was virgin born. Yes, Jesus Christ died on a cross. But the power of the cross is substantiated by the fact that he arose on the third day, proving himself, proving himself to be God. The message that we have today, no other religion offers it. No other religion. Everyone else has a giant scale. Every other denomination, you name it, they've got a giant scale. And somehow they believe if you can work good enough, the scales tip in your, your side. If you're a bad old boy, the scales tip this way. And whichever way the scales tip, that's where you go, heaven or hell. It depends on you. And that's a lie. Jesus Christ, Christianity, the following of Jesus Christ is the only religion in the world. Say, only religion in the world. The only religion in the world that teaches it is by grace that we are saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is a message worth sharing. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, you've got to take this message of repentance and remission to the whole world. Don't keep it in Dorsville. Don't keep it in Harrisburg. Don't keep it in Illinois. Don't keep it in North America. Take the message to the world. Incredible motivation. The problem is, if you're in, you're secure. And it's awful easy once you get in and get secure and say, well, let someone else. There is no plan B, folks. We are plan A. We are the someone else. And that's what the message is about today. A powerful motivation. What's the powerful motivation? We serve a risen Savior. He lives. The reason the church chose to celebrate on Sunday, why did they move from Saturday to Sunday? Because on Sunday he resurrected. I'm telling you, I challenge you, get the books of Acts out. Read the book of Acts. And over and over time again, you're going to hear, we were there. We saw it. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. We touched him. He's alive. And if you don't believe us, go find one of 500 people who saw him also. He lives. He lives. Incredible motivation. And that is followed by an incredible instruction. Look what else Luke writes. He continues the thought, while he was together with them, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, you heard, this is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is incredible. He says to them, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. I know, I know there's a world out there that I told you to reach, but I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. Yes. What are we waiting for? The promise. The promise. Remember I told you that, that the Holy Spirit was with you, but one day he will be in you? That's what you're waiting on. You're waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. 
Yes. Why are we waiting for the Holy Spirit? Because without Him, you can't do it. That's why. That's why. See, we are 100%. Say 100%. Say totally. Say completely. Dependent on God. See, without God, it is not going to happen. See, that's what he's saying in these verses. He said, you've got to wait on God because without God, it is not going to happen. Now, something's going to happen. Listen, something could happen, but it can't happen. See, across America, in Baptist churches and Southern Baptist churches, Katie, and independent Baptist churches, and non-denominational, where they go, woo! And where they don't go, woo! And when they speak in unknown languages, where they don't speak in unknown languages, and, and places where they take the Lord's Supper every day, or they don't take the Lord's Supper every day, every kind of church you can imagine, they do church, and God's not there. See, in America, because of all the abilities we have and the resources we have, we can do church without God. You get a somewhat talented speaker, a somewhat talented worship leader, a somewhat talented youth guy, and there's some money thrown into pot, so people say, I believe in the club. You can do church. Something will happen. But it won't. It won't. Preaching, it won't. We can do church on Sunday morning, but it won't happen, Tom. And I'm telling you, across America, Joe, across America today, it's not happening. Dwayne, how do you know that? Because there's 258 million lost people in America. That's how I know that. There's 8 million people lost in Illinois. That's why I know that. Because we live in a society that slowly, no, quickly, is on a fast track to hell. They're, they're hell-bound race. That's why I know that. We can do something. But we Cannot do authentic God work without God. We can do religious work. We can do good work. We can do charitable work. But we can't. Why, Dwayne? Well, I said this Wednesday night. I said I was going to say it this morning. And I'll say it again when I get back from Africa. A branch cut off of the vine is called firewood. As soon as the branch is taken away from the vine, whatever capacity it had supplied by the vine stops. Any fruit bearing, any purpose stops. And it picks up a new purpose, and that is it's fit to be burned. You can't do God work without God. You can have God-like stuff, but you can't do God stuff. And folks, I'm telling you, someone said it. I don't know where it was in the past somewhere, but I want to tell you, here's what he said. Without God. We will either fail miserably or succeed more miserably. And I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of success in the religious and Christian world today that is simple, simply miserable success. Because it's man-generated, it's not God-generated. What can we do without Jesus? Nothing. Who are we without Jesus? Nobody. Nothing. So we have this incredible instruction. Wait on God. Don't now listen. You're going to be tempted to go out there and start going to your start. You want to start the commission. No wait. Because you need him. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, 
Hadn't mentioned it in a couple of weeks. Hey, mama, daddy, to be the effective parent you want to be, you need him. To be the husband or wife you want to be, you need him. To, to be the employee you need to be, you need him. Hey, kids, at school, to be the student you need to be, you need him. Well, why? Well, that sounds almost like Jesus is essential. Hello? Hello? You want to hold your breath about four minutes and see how you feel? He's the air that we breathe, I think a song says. He's essential. Wait on Him. Depend on Him. And Doris Phil, we're doing some, listen, this might be, I was going to say something. We're doing some incredible things. But let's just make sure it's not us, it's God. Just make sure it's God. Incredible instruction. But then that incredible invasion is my favorite. I like invasions. Look what the Bible says. He picks it up in verse number 6. So when they had come together, Jesus and the boys, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Lord, at this, is this the time now that, that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now let me take, let me, let me translate that for you. Let me put it down to what they're saying. See, Jesus all along, we really don't like the Roman government. We really don't. And see, we're waiting for a time when a king will come. And this king will then proceed to overthrow the Roman government. And the process of overthrowing the Roman government, our lives are getting a whole lot better. And Jesus, you've proven that you're more than a good teacher. We kind of like thought that you were the king before your death. But now that you've resurrected, we are certain you've got the power to overthrow the Roman Empire. God is the time. Jesus is the time now. Is it time for the agenda to happen? Whose agenda? Our agenda? You know what Jesus said? He said to them, is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority. Guys, that's just not important now. I know you would love to have a little better life. I know you'd like nothing more than for the Romans to be crushed under my heel and smashed flat. I know you'd like nothing more. Listen, I know you'd like nothing more. You walk in Jerusalem right now and slap a crown on my forehead and say, I'm the king and you boys can be my princess. I know that, but boys, it ain't time. It ain't time. There might be a time, but now it's not that time. Application. Lord, now that I've trusted you as Savior, is my life going to get better now? God, is it time for you now to get me the job I've been waiting for? God, God, now that I've trusted you as Savior, is it time now for my marriage to get better? Those are all important, he'd tell you. But it's just not time yet. Because there's a greater cause. There's a greater purpose. And that greater cause and purpose is not your agenda. It is mine. He said, here's my agenda. Here's what's going to happen. But you will receive power. Oh, they said, we like power. 
That's what we're talking about, Jesus. Well, all we're waiting for you to do is just dump a, a boatload of power on top of us. That's what we're talking about. In fact, you just give us the power, we'll take care of the Romans. He'd say, you didn't let me finish. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus says there's going to come a time in a few days that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and dwell in you. And you will be my witnesses. Jesus says, do you remember what we said earlier about Luke chapter 24? He said, flashback, you remember? When I said that this gospel of repentance remission must be preached to the whole world. Well, guys, good news. You're going to get power. It's going to happen. Part of me is going to come live in you. Part of me is coming and living in you. And, but listen, it's not so you can have a better life. It's not so you can make more money. It's not so you can have a better job. It's not so your marriage will be better. It's not so if you get sick, you can pray and get healed. It's so you can be my witnesses. Come on now. You can tell my story. Now, I'm going to stop about that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Do you not think it incredible that the risen Son of God left in their hands and now centuries later has left in our hands the incredible privilege of telling his story. The plan to reach this world with the gospel of repentance and remission has been placed in our hands. How incredibly powerful is that? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come on. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell my story. In fact, to make it more personal, you're going to tell your story. Because you see, when you meet Jesus, he gives you a story. Y'all real quiet. Dwayne, it sounds like to me you're talking about going or telling somebody. And I'm not sure I want to amen that because that scares me to death. Me too. Did you know that? I was, I was sitting there. We went over to Louisville for some training this weekend and for, for the mission trip. And I was in Staples. No, no. Office Depot. No, Staples. No, Office Depot. Staples. I visited both of them. And I found some coffee that you like, so I went to the cash register. And this old boy was up there. Remember I said last week I said this. Remember? He had tattoos all over his neck and his head and everything. I said, okay, what are we going to do with this, you know? And so, now I know we're going to buy coffee, but what else are we going to do? So somehow, and I'm not sure how, the topic of the world entered everything. I said, okay, God, how are we going to get in here? How's it going to happen, God? And my stomach's kind of doing the flip-flop thing. Now, God, what if he said? Don't want to hear about God and stuff like that. And I was about to go, and he goes, you know, all you can do is trust the Lord. <laughs> Mr. Tattoo Man knew Jesus. <laughs> Woo! And we just had a worship service right there. Talked about how God was the only answer. Dwayne, you get the roly-polies in your stomach still? Sure do. Sure do. You get nervous when you preach? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Don't feel like you're, you know, that somehow we staff people have got this magnificent gift that takes all the woolly-bullies. It doesn't. But we've got a story to tell. 
we got a story about him, and we got a story about us. And Jesus says, you're going to get power. The Holy Spirit's going to enable you to tell my story. The Holy Spirit's going to enable you to tell what God has done for you. Where's it going to happen, Dwayne? Well, Jesus said. Now, let me read all four of these together and make a clarification. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is not, now you may want to write this down. This is not smorgasbord obedience. Jesus didn't say you can be a witness in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth. Long time I kind of thought that. And boy, one day God just rung my bell and said, wait a minute. That's a, it's like the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get one, you get all nine. And this command, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. And here's where it's going to happen. Not, not one of four, not two of four, not three of four, but four of four. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Said, now, now, in a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. They didn't know what's going to happen. Peter didn't know what's going to happen. But Peter got a Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost got a hold of Peter, and he preached, and 3,000 people got saved. They started in Jerusalem, but they didn't stop in Jerusalem. See, we have a mission in our Jerusalem, and that's Harrisburg and Saline County, at least. We have a mission. God says, I want you, Dorisville Baptist Church, as a collective body of believers to be a witness in Jerusalem. What does that look like? It looks like June 13 through 17. See, some of y'all say, Dwayne, y'all want to go to Africa, you go right on. If you want to go there, go. But my heart's in Harrisburg. I'm so glad. I just know you filled out a VBS slip last week. That's right, you're not buying my lunch. I ain't worried. Yeah, you know, it looks like June 13 through 17. You know what it looks like? It looks like a mercy corner. Some of y'all say, well, Dwayne, we, we, we think we all minister to local people. That's what we think. I've got an opportunity for you. Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, we're having a meeting of potential workers for the Mercy Corner Ministry. The Mercy Corner Ministry will provide clothing to those who need it twice a week. Yeah, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 to 12. And we need workers. And if you're saying, Dwayne, I believe in the ministry to Harrisburg, I've got the deal for you. Would you come Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, and we're going to tell you all about how you can help people in Harrisburg. How you can share Jesus and share a little bit of clothing with them. What does that look like, Dwayne? It, it looks like in August, when over 200 of you consistently come back and minister to over 1,000 people. What does it look like, Dwayne? It looks like Judgment House. It looks like All-Star. See, Jerusalem is important. And we need workers to share the story in Jerusalem. Some of you can never go to Africa. Some of you won't go to Africa. But you're in Jerusalem. Can I have an amen? If your heart's here, we want you to serve. But then he goes a little bit further. He says you can go to Judea. Judea was the outer reaches. It was the state of that area. Now, now that could mean Illinois for us. But in a, but a way, I think it means bigger than that. I think it means North America. And some of you say, well, Dwayne, I'm so, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for the folks in China. But what about America? That 258 million that are lost. What about them, Dwayne? I've got a deal for you. 
A woman just stood before you, a lady just stood before you named Annette Franks. And she said, we are beginning our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, of which 100% of every dollar will go to home missions. Now, if you've got a heart for America, this is your offering. All you've got to do is pull your wallet out or your checkbook out or your debit card out and do what God tells you to do. Well, do I like going? We've got a trip planned to Chicago. You can go to Chicago and help serve the people there. We've got trips to East St. Louis. You can serve there. Dwayne, I, my heart's for the, for, the, for the people who are ethically challenged. You know, pe- people like, you know, people that, that's a cultural barrier, barrier thing. I, I want to go where, where man has never gone before. Well, we got ministries for you. You know that place I talk about, East St. Louis? That's just a different culture. And see, Samaria, Samaria for the Jews was off limits. Now, I'm telling you what. We've got an area just south of our church, over here, over there, where some of you say, well, I'm not going there. You need to pray about that. Because last time I checked, the people who live two blocks south of here need Jesus. The people who live over there need Jesus. The people in downtown Chicago need Jesus. The people in East St. Louis need Jesus. The people in the Mississippi Delta need Jesus. The people over in the Appalachian Trail, they need Jesus. We've got to get over skin colors. We've got to get over economic statuses. And reach people. Why would we do that? Because Jesus gave orders. And this is Jesus' heart. That's why. And they said this uttermost part of the earth thing. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Twelve guys... Oops, 11. No education. No seminary degree. Really not a strong leader in the bunch. Not one of them was a Rick Warren. No. He looks him in the eye, Glenn, and says, you guys are going to reach the world. They didn't even know how big the world was. The world to them was the Roman Empire. They didn't know about America. They didn't know about South America. They knew precious little about Africa. And Jesus looks and says, you guys are going to the ends of the world. What does that look like to us, Dwayne? It does look like in about two weeks, Mali, West Africa. Four people from our church, one from Metropolis first. I'll be loading up on a plane. We're going. This is an incredible opportunity. Two medical doctors. An eye doctor, a lay lady, and a preacher. Incredible opportunity. We're going to go over there, and the medical doctors are going to be able to see people who probably could not afford or have access to medical care. And we can't fix everything. But you know what's going to happen? Because, Matt, I know this place. You're going to have freedom to mention the name of Jesus. You're going to have freedom to say, I want you to know that what I do today, I do in the name of the man Jesus Christ. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be able to tell stories from God's word, leading them to a point of understanding the Jesus road. We went to this eye clinic. We learned of an incredible ministry. As Dr. Darty said, our eye doctor, 
This opportunity is 10% doctor and 90% computer. And believe it or not, we can organize, they are organizing teams, and we can organize a team and go anywhere in the world without an eye doctor and dispense glasses to people who can't see. We can make a physical difference in the lives of these people. Hey, you about this? I can see, yes. And let me tell you about the one who can give sight to your soul. I need to tell you something. We do have a need. We're leaving in two weeks. We need somewhere over $2,000. We've got 1,600 pair of eyeglasses for a quarter to 50 cents a pair. We've got transportation. We've got not transportation for us, transportation for the glasses, for the insurance for the glasses, for the rental for the machine that we're going to take over there and enable us to use it. We've got a need. And, and, and medicine, oh my goodness, we don't know what our medicine costs going to be. Lots going to be donated. But we have medicine needs. And you're, you're saying, well, I'm not ready to go. Would you be willing to pay? Would you help those who are willing to go to get the equipment they need to go over and help these people and tell the story of Jesus? At the back door today is going to be some guys with offering plates. And the money you give today is going to buy eyeglasses, the insurance we need to insure the machine, medicines, and that like. It won't pay for our costs. It's paying for the supplies. And I'm asking you today, in the name of Jesus Christ, to give and give abundantly free. And Dwayne, what happens if there's more than you need? We'll put it in the mission fund and use it somewhere else in the world. You can have a part. I promise you, listen, if you give in the name of Jesus today, whether your foot never touches the soil of Africa, you had a part. You can stay here and as you lift this team up in prayer, you can have a part. In May, six more people from our church are going to Nicaragua on a vision trip and how we can minister to orphans there. How many of you love kids? Yeah. That's what this is all about. And you may have an opportunity in the future to go and to help those kids or to help buy supplies for those kids. That's the ends of the earth. Africa, China, Brazil. Jesus said, go. You're my story. You're my plan A. You're the starting lineup. And the bench is empty. If you don't, who will? What an incredible privilege that is. And you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit for that to happen. How incredible. And that leads us down to an incredible instigation. A, a start. A kickoff. The drop of the flag. After he had said this. He was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing to heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. Now, I know it didn't happen this way, but it makes for a great story. I can see the Lord Jesus, this cloud. He just sort of like floats up on this cloud. And they're all going... And right over Peter's shoulder, you hear these words. Pretty impressive, huh? He went, ah! And turns around, there's two guys in white clothing. And they ask a question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? 
this Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Why are you standing there looking? Implication. Why aren't you doing? Doing what? Going back to Jerusalem and waiting. Well, you know who? God. He said, Gazing 101. Rule number one. There's a time to gaze and a time not to gaze. To every season, there is gazing. A time to gaze and a not to gaze. That was supposed to be a hair funny. Not much, but a little bit. He said, now, listen, he's gone now. Stop looking. Go look. Can you see him still? It's not like the shuttle goes up. Can you still see the contrail? Go on back to Jerusalem and wait. Because the promise is coming. And when the promise comes, you're going to get power. And when you get power, you're going to be my witnesses. And guys, he's coming back. This same Jesus is going to come back the same way you saw him go. One day, I don't know when, but one day the skies are going to split wide open. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his resurrected body is going to come back from heaven in a thing called the rapture. And those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we who are alive remain shall be caught up together in the clouds. He who, yeah, come on, yeah. He who shall come will come. Jesus is coming back. And then one day, there's going to be another invasion. Sometime after that, after the tribulation, he's really coming. And guess who's coming with him? See, see in the rapture, he doesn't touch the earth. He, he, he gets the cloud and says, hey, y'all, come on. And we go back to heaven. But one day he's coming. And he's riding on a white horse. And he's got a sword. And he is the victorious, almighty, resurrected king, son of God. And he is coming to wreak havoc with Satan. And we are with him. How many of y'all rode a horse before? You might want to get more lessons. If those who do not raise your hand, get your lessons. Because, honey, you're coming back on a horse. High hold silver away. He's coming back. What's he coming, Dwayne? Well, I can give you a hint. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, Jesus speaking again says this. And this gospel of the kingdom. He's kind of stuck on this theme. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed he's kind of stuck on this gospel stuff? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Does that sound familiar? And then the end will come. There's 160 some odd people groups in this world who have not heard about Jesus. If he meant what he said, there's going to be representatives from each tribe and tongue. There's about 160 left to hear someone to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the end's going to come. If you're saying, I want the rapture to happen, then get on your horse and let's go. 
Let's go to our Jerusalem. Let's go to our Judea. Let's go to our Samaria. And let's go to the utmost parts of the earth. That's how we get the job done. Amen? Your sermon sheet at the bottom says this. It was not to save sinners that Jesus Christ came. I'm sorry, try again. It was to save sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world. He did not come to help them to save themselves, nor to induce them to save themselves, nor even to enable them to save themselves. He came to save them. The only hope for your lost neighbor The only hope for your lost child, the only hope for your lost spouse, the only hope for Chicago, Los Angeles, or New York, or Muddy, the only hope for Montreal, Brent, the only hope for Mali, West Africa, or Beijing, China, is Jesus Christ. He came to save. And we, as a collective body of the Dorsville Baptist Church, of the Lord Jesus Christ, had been invited to be his plan A, part of his plan A. What an incredible privilege. Would you bow your heads right there? This is how you live out the heart of God. This is how you live out the heart of God. This is what we're about. I think I would be safe to say that a lady who's married and has a child, when a mother goes through childbirth, she would tell you, as painful as it is, this is what I was created for. That's why when a woman, for whatever reason, can have a child is so hurtful and painful. It breaks their hearts. Brothers and sisters, this is what we are created for. Jerusalem, Mercy Corner, Bible School, Back to School, All Star, Judgment House, Blessing Baskets, Every service, every week, Wednesday night. Oh, my. How could I close that mentioning Wednesday night? The incredible difference those people are making in the lives of a lot of kids who do not know Jesus Christ. Judea. Chicago. Muddy. Mississippi Delta. East St. Louis. DeCoin. Samaria. The hard places. The places people would run from and not run to. The ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. Today as we have our decision time, I'll have David sing in just a moment. I'll have you even remain seated with your eyes closed for a few parts of this, few moments of this invitation, this decision time. If there's decisions you've made during the week, this will be your time to come. If you're feeling that, you know what, Dwayne? I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part. I'd like to know about how to become a member of the fellowship of the Dorsville Baptist Church, the church family. If you'll come, Brother Brink, and share with you about that. Perhaps you want to come today to this altar and say, God, here I am. I realize that I'm totally dependent on you. And I realize, Father, that you're calling me to do part of this some way. I don't know if it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the most part of the earth. I just know I need to be obedient to you. And here's the blank check of my life, whatever you want me to do. Maybe there's just a burden on your heart. Maybe you are the mama of that lost child or the dad of that lost child. We'll have some folks down here be glad to pray with you this morning. After David sings just a little bit, we'll stand to our feet. We'll join him in some song, and uh, then we'll celebrate, all right? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you, and I thank you, God, 
for coming today. I thank you for loving us so much. I thank you, Father, that you're doing great and wonderful things. I thank you for your word, Father. We find it so incredible and so powerful. Father, speak to our hearts. I acknowledge God today. No amount of emotion, no amount of speaking can cause any lasting difference. Holy Spirit, it has got to be you. And we invite you right now to come in and touch our hearts. Touch our hearts, God, that we might be changed and made new. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name.